Well, our God, yeah. Did you ever feel like life is unfair? Did you ever feel like there are times when you've actually been discriminated against? Maybe you've been uh, passed over by uh, somebody else because of a job promotion, or uh, maybe you feel discriminated in the neighborhood or at work or whatever it might be. I think all of us would agree there are times in life where things just feel unfair. Uh, in a moment, we're going to take a look at a story in the, uh, in the scripture, in the study that we're doing of the book of Acts, and we're going to see in all places on earth, there's something that happens that's unfair. And in all places on earth, it's going to happen in the church. And we all are convinced that in the church, everything's fair, that uh, there's no injustice in the church. But uh, we'll see in this story, in the growing church, that that's exactly what happens. Something unfair unfolds. And the question is, what do you do about life when, when life becomes unfair? But the more important question that we're going to look at is, what does God do about life when life gets unfair? So I'm going to invite you, if you would, turn your Bibles to the New Testament, Acts chapter 6. We're going to continue our study of the book of Acts. We're going to look at verse 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, if you reach into your bulletin, you'll find a handout that looks like this. I invite you to take that out. There's several words that we're going to write down together. And in the meantime, I didn't see who's reading this morning. Who's, who's got that? Okay, Steve Keeley's going to read for us. As Steve makes his way to the pulpit, if you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of the Word of God? Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that your grace is enough. It's more than sufficient for each and every one of us. Thank you, Lord, that <clears throat> although each and every one of us in life, many times we feel that there's injustice or something's unfair or whatever it might be, Lord. We see in your word that you're working with us and through us in those times of difficulty. We pray this morning as we meditate on your word, study your word, that you will give us a revelation of encouragement this, this morning through your word. May your blessing be upon us, Father, and we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Thank you, Steve. Well, there are times, I think, for all of us could give a testimony of when life just does not seem fair, unfairness in life. And what do you do about unfair things in life? 
we see through our country today, there's all kinds of uh, difficulties and challenges that we're, we're facing in our nation. And uh, th there is something specific that we do as people and as a culture. Whenever there's something unjust, unjust, or unfair, the first thing that we do is we create another law. In fact, uh, isn't that what we do? We elect people to send them down to Washington, D.C. to pay them a lot of money so they'll make a lot of laws that will con continually inhibit our lives. So th there's challenges. The first thing that we always do is we make another law. But the problem with laws are this. Laws might be able to change somebody's behavior, might, might stop you from doing things, might start you to do some things, but a law will never change your heart. There's an old story of a father who um, was having a difficulty with his little boy, so he told him, sit down. And the little boy said, no, I won't sit down. And the father said, sit down. And he said, no, I'm not going to sit down. So they went back and forth a number of times. Finally, the father said, listen, if you don't sit down, you're going to be in your room for the rest of the day. Well, the little boy slams himself down, folds his arms, and said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. See, that's what laws do. They might force us to do something, but they can't change our hearts. What God wants to do is change our hearts, particularly in those times when life seems unfair. What do you do when life seems unfair? Now, we're going to take a look at this uh, passage that Steve just wrote to us. And what I want to see is three dynamics of what God is doing in this passage to help you and me deal with times when life seems unfair. So if you have a pencil out, the first word that I want you to write down is what God is showing us and what, God is, what, what God's going to communicate to us is that when life is unfair, it begins with understanding it is a spiritual problem, a spiritual problem. Now we look at the world in, in terms of what I can see, feel, taste, touch, hear, so on and so forth, but God deals with the spiritual. Now, you might be here this morning, you might be checking out Christianity, you might be coming back to your faith, whatever it might be, and that might sound a little strange, that uh, at the heart and soul of, of uh, the problems of life are spiritual spiritual problems, but listen to what the Apostle Paul says. It's on the screen, and I'm going I'm to read it to you. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's Schemes. Now listen to this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, he was writing to people that were very upset about life. They were, they were upset about some of the discrimination that they were experiencing in life. They were upset about the unfairness of life. And what he is helping them see is that what's behind these things, that first of all, begin to learn that there are there are spiritual forces that are in play. Now, we see that in, in, verse, in verse 1. Listen to what it says. But as the believers rapidly multiplied. Now think about that for a minute. The believers are rapid. Now what he's talking about is that, that uh, this, this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ has come into the hearts of those who have believed in him as Lord and Savior. And they are going out into the world, and they're telling people about it. In fact, in Acts chapter 5, verse 20, the angel says to one of them, keep going out in the temple courts and telling people about this new life. That's exactly what they were doing. Their lives, now listen to this, their lives have been changed dramatically by the gospel of Jesus, by the good news of Jesus Christ. They had suffered in many different ways in their lives, but they put their faith in Christ, and suddenly their lives 
turned around and they couldn't help but tell other people about it. Now, I, I've said this multitudes of times, but I came to faith in Jesus Christ when I was about 12 or 13 years old. But nobody ever explained to me what had happened. Something wonderful had happened. I didn't know what, was hap- what had happened to me or what was happening to me. And in a short amount of time, I fell away from the Lord. Later in life, I began to learn that it was the grace of God that came into my heart, that God had forgiven me of my sins one time for all time. And the moment that I put my trust and faith in Jesus, he had filled me with his love and his grace. And when I began to learn about that more and more, it was mind-boggling to me. And I had to tell people about it. I kept saying, do you understand what God has done for you? Do you understand what God wants to do for you? Do you understand the, the love that God has for you? I couldn't contain it. When I began to learn more and more about it, I wanted to tell people about this good news of the gospel of Jesus. Now, that's what's happening with them. They are rapidly multiplying. The church is not growing in that first century. It is multiplying because people are overwhelmed by the forgiveness of God, but more importantly, they're overwhelmed by the love of God, and they want to share this love with anybody that will listen to them. But at the same time, we see something happen. Listen to the rest of the verse. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being, there's your word, discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Now, this great and wonderful thing is happening. The church, uh, God's church is exploding in growth. It's going out into the streets. It's winning people to faith in Jesus Christ. But all of a sudden, it's it's coming to a halt. And it's coming to a halt because something unfair is happening. Somebody is being discriminated against. Something unjust is happening. Now, what was, what was happening was wrong. I'll give you a little explanation. It says the Hebrew-speaking Jews and the Hellenist-speaking Jews or the Greek-speaking Jews. Now, in that first century, what was happening, people like Peter and James and John and Matthew and so forth, they would be Hebrew-speaking Jews. They would be uh, people that grew up in the synagogue. They would have been people that had learned the Hebrew language and the Aramaic language. <clears throat> but because of Alexander the Great, there were a lot of Jewish people that they were growing up in Greek-speaking areas. And so they learned to speak Greek, and they were, they were part of the Greek culture. So the, the, the Jewish people, that they, they began to look down their noses at the Greek Jewish people. So there was a discrimination there. And they were getting more food for the Jewish uh, believers than the, the Greek-speaking believers. So it was an injustice. But wherever there's an injustice, where there, wherever there's unfairness, what you and I need to, to grapple with and understand that behind all of that, there's going to be a spiritual problem. Just like Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual rulers and authorities. Now, there's an old saying that goes like this. When God starts blessing, Satan will start messing. Okay? When God begins to bless people, the enemy of our soul wants to move in and he wants to start messing with people. Because what the enemy of our soul wants to do, he wants to stop whatever God is doing. He wants to divide people. He wants people to be suspicious of one another. He wants uh, people to be jealous and envious of one another. So in the spiritual realm, he is going to cause problems, particularly amongst God's people. Now, we see that in the culture all all throughout, uh, throughout our land right now. We see all kinds of turmoil, and it's because there is a spiritual war going on, but people don't understand it, don't realize it. But you and I can learn that. You and I can understand it through the powerful word of God. And when we do that, we can step back and we say, something is going on here that I need to pay attention to. 
Now, there's a little caution that I want to give you. If you could put up the, the, the yellow flag and put the caution sign up. Uh, we have to be a little careful here because many times we can say, whatever I've done, some, if I've done something wrong, or if I have something wrong in my life, I can blame it all on the devil. No, you can't do that. The devil can tempt you and me. He can, he can whisper in our ear. He can cause, he can tempt us to do wrong things, but ultimately we have to own what we're doing. In other words, if, if you're harboring anger in your heart towards somebody, it's your anger. The devil didn't make you do it. He might have tempted you to do it, but you're the one that's hanging on to that anger. If you're bitter at somebody, uh, you can't blame the, the devil. He, he, might be, he might be tempting you, but you own that bitterness. You're holding on to that bitterness. If you've got unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody, it's yours. The, the devil might whisper in your, in your ear and say, this is justified. You can't, you can't let that person get away with this, so on and so forth. But you're the one that owns the unforgiveness. So we can't blame the devil. We, we own those things that are in our heart. But here's the good news. Wherever there's a spiritual problem, God gives this beautiful promise, and it's in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And it's a, it's a passage that you can memorize. I'm going to read it to you, so you can turn your paper over and follow along with me. In fact, let's do that together. Right at the top of your, of your paper, if you turn it over, you'll see Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And here, here we go. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let's read that together. Here we go. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now listen, what that means is, if there's an injustice that has come into your life, if something unfair has come into your life, and you are upset, you, you probably have a right to be upset for a while. But number one, you need to understand there's a spiritual component that's happening. There's something behind the scenes that's trying to get you upset, get you angry get you upset with somebody else. But God's promise to you and me is that no matter what it is, he's going to work it out for good. You don't have to own it. You don't have to be upset about it. You don't have to let it tear your life up. You can give it over to God. And you can say, Lord, I don't want to be angry at that person. I don't want to harbor this in my heart. I want to release it. I want to trust you that no matter what is going on, no matter what this unjust thing, this unfair thing is, you're going to take it, and someday, somehow, you're going to work it out for good. You know what that does? That lifts the burden from us. But it also helps to understand that if, if there's a spiritual problem behind the unjust and unfair things in our, in our lives, the second thing that we're going to see this morning is that there's going to be a spiritual solution. So the second word you're going to write down is solution. If there's a spiritual problem behind the unjust, unfair things in life, there's going, God's going to bring about a spiritual solution. Now, listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, the tangible world. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary or temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. Now listen, that takes some training, and at first it doesn't make sense, but the more that we know God, the more we understand God, the more we love God, the more we learn about the spiritual solution to our problems. And what the, what the, the scriptures is teaching us is that we learn what it is to fix our eyes not on what is happening right now, but what God is doing for us on our behalf behind the scenes. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. 
Now, we see that in what happens and what unfolds in the story, how this, this unjustness, this injustice, or this unfairness that's happening in the church. Verse 2. So the 12, now that would be the uh, 12 apostles, the 12 called a meeting of all the believers, and here's what they said. We apostles should not, uh, we should spend our time teaching the word of God and not running a food program. Now I want you to skip down to verse 4 for a second with me, if you would. Then, they say, we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word of God. Now, spiritual problems are going to have a spiritual solution. The apostles are confronted with this difficulty and, and immediately they're not making excuses. <clears throat> they know that it's true. They, they've been confronted with this. It's stopping the church in its tracks, so they know that they've got to deal with it. So they deal with it by setting priorities. You and I have to set priorities in our lives. You and I need to understand that behind the problems are spiritual problems, spiritual things going on, and so the priority in our life has to be a spiritual solution. Now, what was their priority? They were the leaders of this new church. And as the leaders of this new church, their, their priority was the word of God and prayer. Now, why? They knew that they had to build a solid foundation for the lives of the people that they were serving. And that solid foundation is found in the word of God and no place else. In other words, if you're trying to build the foundation of your life on your career, your career, your career is going to come and go. If you're trying to build a, a solid foundation of your life with your family, your family will come and go. Your kids will someday, they'll move away. If you're trying to build a solid foundation of your life with your bank account, the scripture says that money will grow wings and it'll fly away. If you're trying to build your, your life, a foundation for your life, on the things of this world, you're going to be disappointed. What the apostles knew, they were, they were taught by Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They observed Jesus. Their hearts were now filled with Jesus. They knew that their number one priority was to build spiritual solutions into the lives of the people they were serving because they knew that these people would face all kinds of trials, all kinds of unjust things, all kinds of unfair things. But they needed to have the solid foundation of the word of God and prayer. Jesus said, heaven and earth will, will pass away, but my word will never pass away. You see, you and I need to build our lives on the unchanging word of God. That's why Jesus said in, in, in John chapter 8, if you hold to my teachings, you shall know the truth. And the truth will do something. It will set you free. It'll lift the burdens from your life. It'll set you free. It'll give you a foundation for life. Now, they do something fascinating. Listen to, verse, uh, to the next verse, verse uh, 5 this time. I'm sorry, verse 3. Here's their solution. It says, <clears throat> excuse me, and so brothers, sisters, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Now think about that for a moment. This was a food problem. Some people were getting more food and other people were getting less food, and then the apostles start talking about, hey, find seven, seven men that you respect who are full of spirit and full of wisdom. Now, if we, if we had a building project in the church, we'd look for carpenters, wouldn't we? If you had a food problem in the church, you wouldn't be looking for carpenters, you'd look, be looking for cooks. But they're saying, find seven guys you respect that are full of the spirit and full of wisdom. What on earth is going on? 
Well, they knew that there was something deeper going on that, that needed a spiritual solution. Not a physical solution, but a spiritual solution. And so they said, find amongst you seven men that, first of all, that you respect. Now, what is it about them that they would respect? They would respect that they were full of the Spirit. You know what it is to be full of the Spirit? It's to be full of the love of God. It's to be full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, all of the fruits of the Spirit. Take a look at... Um, at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what the Apostle Paul says about the love part of the Spirit. Love is patient. Love is kind. Uh, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. When life gets unfair, love's not going to fail. You see, they knew that if it was a spiritual problem, there needed to be a spiritual solution to what was going on. Yes, it was a food problem. Yes, it was unfair. They could have fixed it, but as soon as they fixed it and they gave, all right, we're going to take your food and give it to these people over here. We're going to even things out. It would have been a fix, but in a very short amount of time, there'd been something else that would have come up, uh, come up as they said, this is unfair, this is unfair. You see, laws can change behavior, but that doesn't change hearts. They knew that they needed men that were full of spirit that would minister to people. That's what's going on here. They knew that those people that were complaining, they were wounded. That something was unfair, so they were wounded down in their soul, and they needed to know that somebody cared about them. See, that's what the church is all about. God wants to know that he cares about people, but he does it through people like you and me, full of the spirit and full of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that we would have an awe of God, a knowledge of God, a deep uh, respect and honor of God. That the love of God would be working in our hearts in such a way that when we see problems, we know that there's, there's a spiritual problem behind there, and there's going to be a spiritual solution. And the spiritual solution is going to be found in the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. That's what ministers to people that are hurt. That's what ministers to wounds in people's souls and in people's spirits. And watch what happens. Verse 5, everyone liked this idea. Who doesn't like to be ministered to? <laughs> if you've been hurt in some way, you're going to like it when somebody ministers to you. Is that true or not true? It's true or, true or false? Everybody liked the idea. And it goes on to say they chose the following uh, Stephen, a man full of faith in the spirit. Names the other people that nobody can pronounce. And then it says this in verse 6, these seven were, were presented to the apostles who prayed for them, and as they laid their, and they laid their hands on them. They prayed for them and laid their hands on them. It's a conference of, of uh, prayer, a conference of authority. It's, compare, uh, it's a conference uh, of the love and grace of God that will be uh, ministering to others in need. There's a spiritual problem. There's going to be a spiritual solution. Uh, there was a uh, story in Time magazine back in 2009 about uh, a man in Japan and uh, the story is about something like 30,000 people, men and women in Japan, in a very short amount of time, had committed suicide. And uh, they were going to this, this uh, one particular place. It's cliffs over the water. And uh, people were jumping off those cliffs. Now, you'd think there'd be some kind of law that would prevent people from jumping off a cliff and committing suicide. But uh, 30,000 people had committed suicide. 
But there were, out of those 30,000, there were 188 that changed their minds. And there was 188 that changed their minds because there was an old, retired Japanese detective that was wandering around those cliffs. And when he would see somebody sitting down with tears in their eyes, uh, getting ready to make that plunge, he'd go up and sit down beside them. And after a period of time, he'd say hello. And then when he felt the time was right, he'd place his hand on their shoulder, and he would simply say, you're having a tough time, aren't you? And invariably, the tears would begin. And he, he would be, he'd begin to listen to them and share with them. But not only that, he would take them back to his office, and you know what he'd do? He'd give them a bowl of, it's called Orshi Moshi. Now, Orshi Moshi is a very well-known uh, uh, rice dish in Japan. And when they would begin to eat this rice dish with them, what it would do is it would bring them back to their new year, back to when they were little kids, back to when they would share that dish with their family. And they would remember those days when they were loved and cared for. And he would begin to change their minds and change their hearts. And he said, uh, the guy that wrote the story said, made an offhand remark, and he said that the uh, ringtone on his, on, on his telephone, you know what it was? Amazing grace. <laughs> How appropriate. And he said, you know, in this part of Japan, I don't want this to be a place where people end their lives. I want this to be a place uh, to be known that this is a place where they begin their lives. You see, he knew that there was a spiritual problem behind what they were about to do. And if there's a spiritual problem, there's going to be a spiritual solution. When you feel that things are unjust, when you feel like things are unfair, that this is something spiritual going on. But if there's something spiritual going, there's going to be a spiritual solution. And, and we need to know that, and here's why. The third thing that I want you to write down is this. What God is looking for, what God wants to show you and me, is spiritual growth. Spiritual growth. You see, uh, in the Gospel of John, it tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. When life is unfair, when life feels unjust, God wants us to, to see that as an opportunity to grow in our spiritual being. That's why the Word of God is so powerful. That's why the, we need to be worshiping together. That's why we need to be in small groups. That's why we need to be ministering together and reaching out to others. Because God desires and delights in spiritual growth. Listen to what the Scripture says in verse 7. So God's message continued to spread. And the numbers of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. God's message continued to spread. Now, what is God's message? Well, once again, it's God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That God loved the world that's full of people that are rebelling against him, sinning against him. You see, we've got to own that in our lives. That we're born in this world in rebellion against God. And if we remain in that spiritual condition, in that physical condition, and we die, we are going to a very terrifying place forever and ever. Amen. But God's message is this. I love you. And I love you so much that I became a human being in my son, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago. And in Jesus Christ, I went to a cross to bear your sins on a tree. The innocent died for the guilty. You and I are perfectly guilty, and Jesus was perfectly innocent, and he stepped between God's wrath and you and me, and he took upon himself, bore our sins in his body, that he might forgive us one time for all times forever. And through his burial, his resurrection, seated at the right hand of the Father, and now he declares to everyone, I have a message for you. 
And the message is, I love you. And if you will repent of your sin and believe on my son Jesus, not only will I forgive you once and for all forever, I will grant to you eternal life. A simple, beautiful, wonderful message. And when this message was proclaimed in this early church, it was exploding because people needed that deep down in their soul. People today need that message deep down in their soul. They're not hearing that message. Nobody's telling them about the love and grace that's offered to them through faith in Jesus Christ. And he said it was changing Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem was their home base. But God wasn't going to let them stay in their home base. He was going to launch them out into the world to proclaim it to everyone, Jew and Gentile, that all the world would hear the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. In this Easter season, God wants to, to bury that in our hearts and in our souls so that it might explode in us and through us to the world around us. In the days and weeks that lead us up to Easter, we have friends and families and neighbors and co-workers all around us that have never heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if they stay in that condition, my friends, and they die, they will go into a horrible eternity. We are called by God to rescue them, to love them, to bring them the message. You see, there is a spiritual problem, but there is a spiritual solution that, that, there's, that needs that spiritual growth. Now, We've got, we've got an opportunity in a couple of weeks to participate in feed, Feeding My Starving Children. It's not fair that there are children all over the world that are starving. I don't know about you, but I find that unjust. I find it unfair. Well, there's a problem, but it's a spiritual problem. The enemy of our soul wants to enslave children in starvation. But if there's a, a, a spiritual problem, there's going to be a spiritual solution. That spiritual solution is you and me. We have the opportunity to come together in a couple of weeks Go down to Deering High School and make a difference. And when we make a difference, there are going to be spiritual seeds that will be planted in the hearts of children all over the world, families all over the world. And maybe, just maybe, they'll hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a great guy by the name of uh, Ed Rowell, and he's a uh, pastor. And uh, Ed writes books, and he preaches great sermons. And uh, he was telling a story about uh, years ago when he was a... Uh, a seminary student, and uh, he and, I forget where he and his wife were living, but to make ends meet, he got a job as a uh, bus driver. He, he was driving kindergarten kids. So uh, one day he's, uh, he's taking these kids home, <clears throat> and he lets this little kid off the bus, and his name's Ryan, and Ryan turns to him and he says, uh, Mr. Rowell, do you want to come in and meet my mom? She's really pretty. And he said, well, thank you, Ryan, but uh, I've, got a, I've got a wife back home, and she's really pretty too. But, but thank you very much for the invitation. And Ryan said, okay. So he, he bounds off the bus. Gets on the bus uh, a couple days later, and uh, Ed is, uh, does his rounds and drops the kids off. He's about to uh, park the bus, and he looks in the rearview mirror, and he sees a shaggy blonde-head kid coming out from behind a, a seat, and it's Ryan. And he said, Ryan, what are you doing? And Ryan said, I fell asleep, and I missed my, I missed my bus stop. And he said, well, when did you wake up? He said, well, I woke up at Kim, Kim's house. And, and he said, Brian could tell I was getting upset. So I said, well, why didn't you let me know when you got to Kim's house that I, I could have taken you home from there? And he said, well, I didn't want to upset you. I didn't want to bother you. I said, okay. So he turned the bus around and he takes Ryan home. Well, the fall unfolds and it gets to be Halloween and uh, they have a special party for the kids and Ryan gets on the bus and he's uh, dressed up like a, a vampire and they're having, it's a Friday night, they're going to have this Halloween party. And um, so... Ed gets, gets them all delivered, and uh, 
He's just thinking to, my, to himself, he's saying, Lord, just get me home. I'm tired. I want to get home and take an aspirin and go to bed tonight and get a good night's sleep. And that's exactly what happens. He, uh, he gets a good night's sleep. He gets up the next morning, gets his cup of coffee, settled in, settles in to read the newspaper, opens up the newspaper, and on page two, there's a disturbing story, a headline story, that a little boy had died at the Halloween party, that there had been a large piece of equipment fell over, and killed a little boy. And that little boy was lying. And you'd think there'd be some kind of law that would prevent big pieces of equipment falling over and killing a little kid. Well, needless to say, Ed was heartbroken, and he went to uh, White's Chapel Funeral Home and, and uh, went in. There was all kinds of people. And, and uh, he could see that Ryan's mom was there and Ryan's stepdad and, and Ryan's stepdad's uh, uh, new wife. And he went, said he went up to the, uh, went up to the uh, casket, the half-side casket, and he looked inside, and, and he saw Ryan, and he said that he, he knew he could see a little bit of uh, Halloween uh, makeup on Ryan's ear, and he, he's just saying to himself, God, I don't want to blow this. I don't want to get upset. I don't want to say something stupid. I don't want to upset his parents. I don't want to get them crying, so please, God, help me. I just feel a mess, so please, God, help me. Well, he turns around and he sees that the uh, that just about everybody's gone, with the exception of the three people. The uh, there's Ryan's mom and and his uh, stepdad and uh, his his stepmom. So he walks up to him and he introduces himself and he said, "Hi, I'm I was uh, I was Ryan's bus driver." And uh, when he said that, uh, Ryan's mom her eyes started to tear up and Ed said, "I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say." So I started to tell them the story of uh, when I when uh, Ryan fell asleep in the bus and. They chuckled a little bit, but, but uh, sure enough, he said, I blew it because Ryan's mom started to get really upset. Before I knew it, she just threw her arms around me and began to hug me and, and just sob uncontrollably. And then I lost it, he said. I tried not to, but I lost it, and I just, I just sobbed myself. And it was one of those, those sobs where your nose becomes a mess, and, and, and it's just, it, was, it was terrible. But in amongst all of it, he said, I had a thought in my mind, and and it seemed like a good thought when it was going through my mind, but when I, when I spoke the thought out, when it came out through my mouth, he said, I, this sounds kind of dumb. But what he said was this. God understands your pain because God knew what it was like to lose a son. Well, that made matters worse. <laughs> Everybody fell apart. He got through it. And he said uh, Christmas came, and then the first of the year, and then midterms, and he was making his way through seminary. He said he was studying for his finals, and all of a sudden he had a terrible pain in his stomach. And uh, the pain got worse and worse to the point where he had to call the doctor, and the doctor said, you better get into the hospital. It sounds like appendicitis. So that's what Ed did. His wife took him in. And uh, when he was in the emergency room, he said they gave him something that took the edge of the pain away. And then he said a woman walked in the room, a very pretty woman, and he said he couldn't believe it. It was Ryan's mother. She had a needle in her hand. She put an armband around, made his, his uh, blood vessels pop, and stuck that needle in his arm. But uh, when she walked in the room, she said, Hi, bus driver. She said, You know, I've been wanting to call you for the last number of months to let you know how much your words comforted me in my time of need. But not only did your words comfort me in my time of need, it made such a difference that you were there to cry with us when our hearts were broken. 
You see, it's unfair for a little kid to die, isn't it? There's a problem there, but it's a spiritual problem. And if there's a spiritual problem, there's going to be a spiritual solution. And you see, Ed was that spiritual solution. God sent him into their lives at just the right moment to minister to them and to bless them. And because of that, there was a seed that was planted, a seed that will grow, a seed that will become God's message, God's message of Jesus Christ and his love for this world. Life ain't fair. We want to make all kinds of laws, but we don't need more laws. What you and I need is for God to change our hearts. Let's pray. God, we love you, we praise you, we thank you. We recognize and realize that life is not fair. There's so many injustices in life. We experience it. And God, it makes us mad at times, makes us envious at times, jealous at times, resentful at times. Help us understand that there's a spiritual, something spiritual behind the scenes, a spiritual problem going on there. And you've made a promise to us, and the promise is that you're going to work it out. We can take it easy. And we can learn what it is to abide in your word, the truth of the word of God. Not only to abide in your word, that we can be instruments in your hands that you might send us into the lives of others that experience unfairness in life. That you, Lord God, <clears throat> would plant a seed that would bring spiritual growth Lord, in this Easter season, when we think about the world around us, there are people that are starving for Jesus, and they don't know it. Their lives are full of all kinds of problems. They're, they're twisted and turned in a million different ways. But there's a solution to those problems. The solution is Jesus. Help us, God, to be tenderhearted. Help us to be loving. Help us to pay attention. Not ask for more laws, but to ask to be changed by you. We thank you, God, for your love and grace. Most importantly, we thank you for Jesus. And we pray for this in his wonderful name. Amen. Amen, amen. Um, as <clears throat> Nancy mentioned earlier, there's a tear-off sheet in your bulletin. It says, welcome guests. Uh, I do a weekly uh, email update. I let people know what's going on in the church. If you'd like to receive that, fill your name out here, if you would, please. And there's a little box underneath there. You can check that off, if you would. Uh, on the back of the uh, tear-off, there's uh, a number of things. You can write out a prayer request that you might have. Maybe there's a need in your life or somebody in your life that has, has a need. Simply fill out your prayer request. Also, maybe you need to be baptized, or maybe you're, you're thinking about joining a church, or maybe you want to join a small group. There's a, there's a number of different things that you can check off. Simply tear this off and place it in the offering plate as it comes around. Having said that, if the ushers will come forward, we'll have a time of tithes and offerings. Well, God, we praise you. We thank you. We, we love grace, but we also love the opportunity to give back to grace. You have changed us with the love of Christ, and now we want that love of Christ in the lives of others. So, Father, we pray that we would give generously to the gospel of Jesus and that you would use this, Father, in reaching others with the love of Jesus. 
We pray for this and thank you in his wonderful name. Amen.